Our identity in Christ impacts every area of our life, marriage, our family, work, and our engagement with culture. And this morning we'll be looking specifically at the wife's role in marriage, where she is to live as a new creation in Christ, consistent with what God's Word says about the wife's role in marriage. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this gathering of your people here at Covenant. Thank you that we can sing and read and confess and rejoice in your goodness. Thank you, Father, that we come now to sit under the ministry of your word. I would pray that you would make me faithful, make us faithful hearers. Do your work in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll be reading one brief passage from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And then I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Now the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now from Ephesians. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Paul transitions from teaching about the believer's worthy walk as unto the Lord that is fully pleasing to him, to the implications of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the, the practical section of Paul's teaching begins at chapter 3 and verse 18. He begins with believers being called to walk in a worthy manner, fully pleasing of the Lord's in marriage. And last week, we considered in general marriage. What does the Bible teach? In marriage, we looked at seven principles. And today we come specifically to the role of the wife. The first thing Paul does is he transitions from teaching doctrine, we might say, to now teaching how we are to live consistent with that doctrine, is that he, he addresses the role of the wife in marriage. Women, I do want to encourage you in this, that as we read from Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says a whole lot more to men than he does you, but he does address your role equally important. 
So after a wearing a, a wedding ceremony that, that I officiated, a wedding guest who is not a member of this church, who is not associated with this church, came up to me and said, hey, I don't agree at all with what you said about the wife submitting to her husband and obeying her husband. I don't agree with that. Many join this woman in her view, objecting to the wife's role in marriage, submitting to her husband's authority as laid out very clearly in the scriptures. The wedding guest view was echoed in a poem. I just want to read one line of the poem. Your brutal goal was to make me a slave. Beneath the ruse of being served by you, pardon me, friend, and for once hear me through. I am outraged and angered and irate. The line in this poem is intended to object to the biblical role of the wife in marriage. Viewing what the Bible says about the wife's role as really being some ploy where the husband can coerce his wife into submission. We might think that this poem was writ written yesterday, but it was written, believe it or not, in 1555. Where did the rejection of the biblical role of the wife in marriage originate? In our day, no. In 1555, no. It originated at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. As you know, after God gave us how he created, and then he spoke about the cultural mandate, and he created man, he created Adam and Eve, and he instituted marriage there in chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, we know that Adam and Eve fell, Eve was deceived, and though Adam was responsible, he abrogated his authority, and sin came into the world. And because of that sin, both the man's role in fulfilling the cultural mandate and the woman's role in fulfilling the cultural mandate was tarnished. There were consequences desperately uh, direst consequences that resulted. The woman would forever struggle with her husband's authority. So as we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Eve, you will resist your husband's authority. Eve, you will struggle with your husband expressing his role 
as the head of the household. Your desire, Eve, will be to be in charge, to usurp your husband's authority. This is free advice. I would say that many marriage problems can be traced back to what happens in Genesis chapter 3 with God's authority structure turned upside down. Even Eve taking the authority, Adam abrogating his authority. We might say, well, how, how did Adam and Eve, how, how did that work for you? Not so good. We might say to one another, well, wife, how does it work for you when you begin usurping your husband's authority? Not so good. Husband, how does it work for you when you abrogate your authority? Not so good. We'll deal with the man's role next week. But the point that I want to make is that because now Eve's desire will be contrary to her, her husband, she wants to be in charge. Her husband, Adam, get this, will rule over you. You see the dysfunction in the first family, in, in our parents? Eve wants to take charge. And Adam is either going to abrogate his authority or he is going to be like that poem seems to indicate this, this brutal dictator that coerces the wife into submission so he can get his, his way. The fall brought sin and dysfunction into marriage. It brought sin and dysfunction into every area of our lives. But as we mentioned last week, Praise God for the fact that that's not the end of the story, that there was that sacrifice that God made in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 to skin those animals and to clothe Adam and Eve. There is grace. There is redemption. There is now the ability for Adam and Eve to live together before God. And even though they will struggle now in their marriage, they can grow now and live married in right relationship with God. That's true for you and me today. There's hope for marriage. I can say that every one of us that are married here today, we have a dysfunctional marriage. And there are two reasons for that, the husband and the wife. I want to make sure that I say that these messages last week Today's and next week is really for everyone irrespective of your marital status because part of walking worthy as a new creation in Christ is thinking rightly about what God says and so even if you're not married today you can walk worthy with regards to marriage by affirming what the Bible says about marriage and then if God chooses to bring you into a marriage, you'll have the opportunity to practice what the Bible says about marriage. But dear person today who is not, not married, you have a great, great privilege to stand firm 
resolute on what God says about marriage. And that's walking worthy just as much as those of us who are married actually living consistent with being a new creation. So, so I hope all of us understand that, that, that this word from God is for all of us today. We're called to think rightly and we're called to live rightly. And so the, the objections to the biblical roles of the husband and the wife in marriage is, is rooted in the fall. The fact that we don't think biblically about marriage is rooted in the fall. My goal today is to, is to represent the biblical teaching on the wife's role in marriage, that we might think more biblically about it, affirm it more rigorously, and that for those of us who are in marriage, that we might seek to walk in a manner worthy, to live as a new creation in our marriages, and in particular, wives, that you would seek, by God's grace, to fulfill that role that he has designed for you. So I want to talk about three things, or actually four things. So I've cut my sermon down from seven points last week to four points. Maybe we'll get to three points next week. I don't know. So... We want to look at the nature, grounds, extent, and importance of the role of the wife in marriage. God says, this is the nature, the nature of submission, the wife's role. God says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Then in Colossians 3.18, he says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Same, same principle. So what is the nature then of this, this role? First, the basic meaning of the Greek word that Paul uses that is translated submit is to place in order. So think about, think about any authority structure. So you have a government. You have the head of the government and then you have the citizen. There, there is an authority structure. One is placed as the authority. One is placed in submission to that authority. So, so we see this in uh, government. We see this at the workplace. Employers are in the place of having authority. Employees are in the place of being under that authority. Certainly the military, the commander, the general, the, uh, the, the lieutenant leading the platoon is in the place of authority. Those under him are in the place that are to submit to his authority. It's true here in the church. The elder is in the place of authority. The member is in the place of submitting to that authority. So we need to understand that this word submit is not negative. It's not a bad word. It is something that all of us do in one realm or the other. And it, and it is not to be translated subjection. That's not it. It is simply understanding my place as either being in authority or under another's authority. And by the way, everybody here today is under God's authority ultimately. Every elder here today is first and foremost under God's authority. Every husband here today is first and foremost under God's authority. Every Christian here today is first and foremost under God's authority. In fact, I would say 
the entire cosmos is under God's authority. Secondly, submitting to the husband is something the wife decides to do. She decides to do this when she takes her marriage vows. The, the institution of slavery, I think, too often leads us to think about submission in the wrong way when it comes to marriage. The institution of slavery, especially as it was practiced here in our country, is someone being forced to submit. That is not the sense of the Apostle Paul here in Colossians 3 and in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul uses submission in the sense that, that, it, that the wife voluntarily submits herself when she takes her marriage vows. It, she voluntarily regulates her conduct to be under the husband's authority. Submission is that position that she accepts as she accepts the authority structure that God has ordained in the family. There's no coercion here. As much as people want to say that there is. Thirdly, submission is the wife's spiritual duty. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And it, and it Colossians, as is fitting to the Lord. In Ephesians 5 and verse 24, Paul expands the, the meaning of as to the Lord or as is fitting to the Lord by, by comparing the wife's spiritual duty to submit to her husband with the spiritual duty that every member of Christ's church has to submit to him. We're the bride, he's the husband. And Paul says, as the church, as the bride submits, that there's a parallel there to Christ as being the head of the church. As the husband is the head of the household, we see the proper position of the, lay, of the wife is to submit to that husband out of reverence for Christ. It's her spiritual duty to submit to her husband as she walks in obedience to Christ. So the motivation therefore a wife submitting to her husband is hopefully love for the husband but even more it's love for Christ it's an obedience to Christ it is to honor Christ are all of us happy and joyful thinking about and supporting this biblical teaching on the wife's role in marriage. Wives, are you happy and joyful in fulfilling your role? Or is it hard? Is it frustrating? Is it even maddening to be in this position of submission? Do you feel like I'll never be able to be fulfilled as a woman if I'm in this coercive relationship with this husband. The key to not only agreeing with the biblical teaching on the wife's role in marriage, as well as the key to wives having joy in fulfilling your role, is that little phrase, as to the Lord. 
or as is fitting to the Lord. If you are struggling today with either thinking about the role of marriage, if you're out in public and you're talking to your friends and they say, hey, what do you think about marriage? And what do you think about the wife's role in marriage? And you go, there's no way in the world I'm going to say the wife is to submit to the husband because I know they will come back at me. I know they will think poorly of me. I know they will try to counsel me. And if you're a wife and you're in marriage and you're struggling with it, it could be in either of those situations, thinking about it, speaking about it, or actually being in it as a wife, it could be that you're not seeing your role, you're not thinking about this role as part of the wife's spiritual duty to submit to Christ, her spiritual duty as a function of loving him. First Peter has an amazing passage, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, and this is what 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 says, that, that a godly wife, a, a God-fearing wife, a Christian wife, even if she is living with an unbelieving husband, this was in the day when the gospel was breaking forth and there were many situations where one spouse became a believer, the other spouse was, was an unbeliever, as the gospel was breaking forth in the first century, but this believing wife, in a, that God says that, that he's going to use her godliness in fulfilling her role to bring about her purposes. And even married to an ungodly husband that she can have joy in being faithful to the Lord. Why? Because it's her spiritual duty. Irrespective of how her husband does or does not fulfill his role. And I would encourage us all to look first at our own hearts. If, if, we're, if we're struggling with what the Bible says about the wife's role, to look to our own hearts, to, to, to see that the Word of God's not dysfunctional, the, the, the Word of God is not wrong, it's, it's not broken. We are. And to seek God to do a work of grace in us. The nature of your role, wives, and for all of us, how we should think about the role of the wife is about the wife submitting to her husband's authority as to the Lord. It's your privilege, wives, to walk in obedience to Christ in your marriage. The grounds of submission. I want to say this. <laughs> There's a joke. Some of you uh, older folk here that were here before Renee and I came, some of you actually were on the committee that called me here. You joked, but you weren't joking. You were speaking the truth when you said, Tim, you're okay, but we really called you because of Renee. It's true. I accept it. Because Renee is one of the most gifted, capable leaders I know. You ought to see her lead those, that kindergarten class at Pinnacle Classical. You and I would struggle in it. You ought to see her. In fact, I poked my head in the kindergarten Sunday school class today. And it was just such a joy to see Renee. 
being a leader in, in that class. She is naturally one who takes charge. But Renee told me that one of the things that attracted her to me, other than my stellar looks, was, um, I need to take every opportunity that I can, that I would not let her run the show. She said that, you know, all the other uh, young men that, that she dated would uh, just let her take over. And, you know, she, she wanted someone who, who would lead her. Now, next week, we'll talk about the husband's role in leadership. <laughs> How I, I am about as imperfect as they come as, as a leader. But yet, Renee, it, it, but yet, that's my role. And I have the resolve to do it by grace, even if I'm tripping and stumbling and falling forward doing it. But the fact of the matter is, I, I can't speak for every woman here. I, I feel like I'm on really thin ice speaking for one woman, Renee. But nonetheless, I will say, admit it or not, right or wrong, Tim, that what Renee said, I want someone to lead me, is probably what every woman would say when they are really honest about and, and, and looking at marriage and, and life from a biblical perspective. I want to be faithful to God's word, and he has assigned a leader for me, and I want that husband to lead me. I may not be right about that, but that's what every, certainly that's what a lot of women don't want. That's why we have this, this crisis in our country with regards to marriage. It's because people are following the Genesis 3, turn God's authority structure upside down way too often, even in the church. But I think as we think about God's design rightly, it is logical in that a faithful husband who leads sacrificially, the wife is going to want to live under his leadership. I think that's the way God designed it. The fall has messed it all up. So we'll talk about the man next week, the husband next week, but the point I want to make today is that God has instituted an authority structure. We see that in Genesis 2. He established Adam as the covenant head or federal head over creation. And he is also the head of that marriage. Uh, thus, a husband's authority is, is uh, based in the cultural mandate of creation that we see in Genesis chapter 2. And, and, and one expression of the man's authority is that Eve was taken from her. The woman was from man. And secondly, that Adam had the privilege of naming Eve, Isha, Eve, woman. In Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Leadership, authority, instituted by God. The, the leadership of, of Adam as the grounds of Eve's submission to his authority should be understood practically like this. Adam was granted the role of regent king, Eve the role of co-regent queen. Together they were to go complimenting one another to fulfill the cultural mandate. 
they, they, they were to rely on one another's strengths to cover up weaknesses, complementarianism. Uh, we, we looked at this last week as well in that general sermon series on, or sermon on marriage. They were to mutually submit to one another. That is to say, they, they were to prefer the other's well-being. They, they were to set self aside in order to engage that role that God had assigned to them that the other one might flourish. And as they did that, the marriage, the couple would flourish to be all that God had called them to be. Adam was to, to set self aside to fulfill his role of authority, faithfully submitting to God and seeking Eve's good. And we'll see next week that, that the primary role of the husband is to sacrificially serve and love his wife, to lay down his life for his wife. But there's one more principle here beyond God establishing this authority structure in marriage. And that is what Bruce read earlier today from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There is an authority structure, but we learn from Genesis that there is spiritual equality between Adam and Eve. They were spiritually equal before God. The, in other words, the, the authority structure should not tempt us to think that because Adam is the head, he's more important to God than Eve. No. They're spiritually equal before God. They have different roles to fulfill what God had called them to fulfill. But they are valued and loved and cherished by God the same. The nature of the wife's role is submission as to the Lord. The grounds of her expressing her role is the authority structure that God has instituted in marriage. And now let's look at the extent. Honey, just sign the tax form. Don't look at the numbers. But I do want you to know that is the government listening in? I do want you to know that I've saved us a lot of money because I didn't report some income. But just sign the tax form and we'll send it off. Is the wife's duty to submit to her husband in everything? That's what Paul says in verse 24 to submit in everything, but is there a limit? The scenario that I, that I just gave, I'm sure has never been a scenario that is represented in this congregation at all. But that scenario brings up the question, is there a limit? Or say it another way, is the wife's submitting to the husband in everything absolute? And I would say it's not. In fact, wives, citizens, employees, and anyone who is under authority must not submit if submitting means you violate God's law in some way. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the Jewish ruling council came to the apostles and said, you guys stop preaching Christ. And Peter responded, we must obey God rather than men. They kept on preaching Jesus. 
So the wife in my story should refuse to sign that tax form and she should speak truth to her husband about lying and honesty and all the other sins that are involved in that. Really unfaithful husband trying to implicate his wife in a crime, perjury. The extent of a wife's submission is also regulated by Ephesians 5, 22 and 24, where Paul speaks of wives submit to your own husband or their husband. Uh, when a man and woman come together in marriage, they are to leave their father and mother and be united to one another. And as they cleave to one another, then that new family has a new head. That new head is the husband. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 about leave and cleave, a, a new covenant head is established for that family in, in that marriage. And the wife is to submit to her head is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if for some reason the couple stays in the home of a parent, then they bring that marriage into a home that already has the covenant head, the father. And though there may be some situations where just out of simply, out of necessity, that takes place, but I would say that that dynamic is fraught with all kinds of difficulties because you have under one roof two heads of families and there's going to be conflict and difficulty there. And I'm just simply saying this to say that the Bible is very clear on leaving and cleaving because of this establishing a new covenant head, a new head for that family, the, 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 the husband. And yet, even in marriages that are not under the same roof with a parent, there's dysfunction in violating this principle of leaving and cleaving where the wife defers to her father, who might have been a better carpenter. My dad did it this way. That can cause issues in a marriage. Or, or the husband defers to his mother. You know, my mother did it this way. And that can cause... In other words, there is a very foundational principle that's leaving and cleaving that has to do with a new family head being established. And there can be all kinds of problems when the leaving and the cleaving is not done well. So, there is a new authority structure in the home and the wife is to be in a situation where she is to submit to the head of her family, her husband. And now, now I just want to end with this, this last point, the importance of submission. And I want to do so by just simply acknowledging what, what I think is true, although there may be, may be some disagreement on this. But generally speaking, a husband's greatest need is to be respected. I mean, we see this in our text today. But the, the very last thing Paul says in verse 33 in this passage on marriage is, wives, respect your husband's authority. He said that, why? Because... 
that's the, that's the husband's greatest need to be respected by his wife. And of course, the wife's greatest need, we've already read this in a passage today about God cherishing us, is to be cherished by your husband, to be the apple of his eye, to, to be his uh, cherished, loving wife. And the importance of the wife's role, verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the point I want to make here is that God designed both roles in marriage to meet the greatest needs of the husband and the, and the wife. Wives, you show respect to your husband in submitting to his leadership. You will, you will build, build him up. You will encourage him and you will honor Christ. But I want to say this, there's nothing more shocking than to be out in public and to hear a wife publicly disrespect her husband. It really cuts to the heart of the man. It's a, it's a deep wound that it is inflicted. And then there's nothing more amazing than, than a wife who builds up her husband. A husband can be at work struggle all day, feel like a failure because he's been called a failure by his boss. And he comes home with his head hung low, rejected, dejected, ready just to just go sit in his chair and just forget it all. And yet his wife receives him as her hero, her champion, her leader, and builds him up with encouraging words. And before you know it, the guy feels like he's on top of the world and can conquer anything. And wives, I want you to know that you have a great deal of power. You have the power to destroy your husband, to shame him, in ways that no one else can. And you have the power to build up your husband like no one else can to the extent, to the extent that he feels like he is soaring. I believe this points to the importance of the roles that God has assigned in marriage because it will either deeply wound or unbelievably exalt and encourage. The importance of the role of the wife is this, as wives faithfully fulfill their role in marriage, they will ultimately be li living consistent with who they are as a new creation in Christ. I don't agree with all that you've said about wives submitting and obeying their husbands, said the wedding guest. She, she rejected being identified with a wife who submits to her husband's authority. She refused to be identified as a woman who would allow a man to make her a slave as that poem in 1555 declared. She rejected any notion on that wife's role in marriage that, that, that would restrict her from finding her true self, whatever that means, and living as a fulfilled woman and the master of her own destiny. Her statement did not identify in any way with the biblical record except for this, she identified with Eve in Genesis chapter 3. That's where the identity is. 
Eve rebelled against God's authority structure. Eve rejected her role in marriage. She wanted to find her true self. She wanted to be that self-made woman. She wanted to be in charge. She wanted to find her true self. And in so doing, she lost a sense of her true self in relationship to Creator God. Those who reject the biblical teaching on marriage and the role of the wife ultimately root their identity in self and not in Christ. The importance of the role is seen in this. To reject the biblical role of the wife is to reject one's identity in Christ. Another way to say it is that if you want to test one's one walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, then just ask them, what's your view of marriage? That could be one test. Because one who walks worthy in the Lord walks as a new creation in Christ. Their identity is in Christ. It is not in being a wife. It is not in being a mother. It is not in being an independent person or professional or in, in being your true self. Again, whatever that means. Your identity is in Christ and it impacts every area of your life. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your family. It impacts your work. It impacts how you engage culture. To live consistently by thinking biblically about the woman's role in marriage and living consistent with that role if you are married is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him as a new creation in Christ. May we all think and live as new creations in Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word on marriage. Thank you for your grace and mercy that is constantly overturning the effects of the fall in our hearts, enabling us more and more to mortify sin, to flee from wrong thinking, and to embrace more and more your truth and by your grace to have all that we need to live consistent with your truth as we seek to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you as a new creation in Christ in our marriages and as we think about marriage. And we pray that you would be pleased to grow us, mold us, and transform us. Make us ever committed to your word in full. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.